few tribes in Israel set up an altar of their own. And the rest of the nation begins preparing for war with these rebellious tribes. On The Bible Brief. The Bible Brief is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Check out our website today at BibleLit.org. Conflict often finds its roots in misunderstanding and misaligned expectations. A major relational rift can occur over the smallest of matters simply because of a misplaced word or a misinterpreted action. Tempers can run hot from an expectation uncommunicated and unmet. That means that conflict resolution and conflict avoidance must necessarily involve clarity. Did that person say the word you thought they said, or was it something else? Did they do that to hurt you, or did they forget and fail to consider that it might hurt you? Was anything good or bad communicated, or are you simply making assumptions? These appeals to reason are attempts to stifle emotional overload that can cause rash actions with even worse consequences. Because a wrong move can mean the loss of a friend a rift among brothers, or in the case of Israel, war among tribes. Conflict is stirring, and the question is, can Israel stop before it starts? After the great campaigns of conquest in the land of Canaan that lasted about seven years, Israel finally has rest from war. The major Amorite and Canaanite powers have been defeated along with the other allied people groups. Israel now stands as the major power of the land of Canaan, dominating much of the area. Pockets of resistance remain in the promised land, and Israel will have to continue driving out the inhabitants of the land. But for now, they have rest. But Joshua still has some work to do. Now that Israel controls the land, it's time to divide the land among the twelve tribes of Israel. Or rather, nine and a half tribes of Israel. Remember, two and a half tribes decided to ask Moses for a tribal inheritance outside of the land of Canaan. Their inheritance was back on the east side of the Jordan River, so they didn't get an inheritance in Canaan proper. Instead, the remaining nine and a half tribes were to receive divisions of the land on the west side of the Jordan, where they had been fighting for the last several years. So Joshua begins the long process of apportioning the land among these tribes a process involving casting lots, something that looked like a game of chance, but was used by Israel to understand the will of God. In the Bible, the apportionment of the land, including geographical descriptions of rivers and mountains and hills, takes several chapters. But we can't miss one item in the middle of these chapters that's important. Remember the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that God commanded to be made to house His presence among His people? Well, Israel finally set up that mobile tent of meeting within the land of Canaan. They set it up in a place called Shiloh, in an occasion that brought together the whole nation. This tent at Shiloh would be the central place of worship for the nation until God chose a place for a more permanent structure. After these necessary administrative activities for the future life of the nation, the tribes begin to go their separate ways. 
Things seem to be winding down as each tribe begins to settle in their newly allotted territories. And Joshua finally releases the two and a half tribes that would live east of the Jordan. They had fulfilled their oath to help the other tribes take the land of Canaan in war, and they were now free to go back to their families and livestock on the other side of the Jordan River. You can imagine the collective sigh among the people of Israel. Now that the land was largely won, they could enjoy blessing in the land as they obeyed God's command. Now they could finally put down some roots. That sigh, however, would last only a moment. Soon, war drums begin beating again. But this time it was drums of civil war. The tribes east of the Jordan do something that shocks the conscience in all of Israel. We read this in Joshua chapter 22, starting in verse 10. When the two and a half tribes came to the region of the Jordan that's in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh put there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the rest of the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar in the frontier of the land of Canaan. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Apparently on the way to their territories following the conquest, these two and a half tribes decided to build an altar. This was shocking to everyone else, because God had commanded that sacrifices be done at the altar by the tabernacle tent. The sacrifices that God commanded were supposed to be done only by the tabernacle and not anywhere else. God had commanded a specific place, but these rebellious tribes were setting up their own place of sacrifice. It's no wonder that the tribes in the land immediately gird themselves for a battle. They had only just gained the land. They didn't want to be cursed and cast from it. Soon, a representative group from Israel goes as an emissary from the other tribes to speak to the two and a half tribes to see why they've done this outrageous thing. Among these men was Phineas the one who had zealously struck down the disobedient man who'd taken a Midian woman into his tent when the nation was encamped at Moab. The presence of Phinehas surely signaled that these nine and a half tribes meant business. They say this, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against Yahweh? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which we have yet not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, or make us as rebels by building yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things, and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel? And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. These representatives appeal to these two and a half tribes, and effectively say, What are you doing? Don't you know that all Israel may be punished for this breach of God's command? Didn't you learn from the plague that God sent on the nation when some worshipped Baal and Moab? Didn't you learn from Achan that your sin may have consequences for others as well? 
instead of rebelling like this, just come over to the other side of the Jordan. We can make room for you. Then we hear the response of the two and a half tribes, a response that surprises the whole assembly. They say this, The mighty one, God, Yahweh, the mighty one, God, Yahweh, he knows and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear, that in the time to come your children might say to our children, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship Yahweh. You can imagine that these representatives from the other nine and a half tribes continue to be confused. If these two and a half tribes are afraid of being excluded from the rest of Israel, why then would they build an altar? Why would they exclude themselves by setting this up? If the altar is not for sacrifice, then what's it for? The two and a half tribes continue and say this, Therefore we said, Let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in His presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, You have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, If this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following Yahweh by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. These tribes say that the reason they built the altar is for a witness to future generations. Future generations that might try to exclude these tribes because they dwell away from the other tribes in the land. In a sense, they try to build the altar as a memorable insurance policy against future exclusion. This was a large altar to remind future generations that they were as much part of the nation as those living inside the land of Canaan. We see the reaction of these emissaries next. When Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the people, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered this people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest and the chiefs returned to the people of Israel and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us that Yahweh is God. Civil war was averted, averted, because instead of merely attacking the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan, the other tribes had sense enough to speak to them first. Bloody conflict between tribes was avoided because they didn't let their assumptions drive their emotions. 
They thought that the altar was a breach of faith, when it turned out to be a bolster of unity among tribes. They thought that God would punish this apparent place of sacrifice, when God was using it to bring the tribes to an understanding. What looked like civil war turned into an occasion for worship. Worship of Yahweh, the one who had made them succeed in victory, and now finally granted them rest. Finally, finally instead of conflict, they would have rest. Join us next time as Joshua gives his final speech to the nation, a speech to encourage, and a speech to warn. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023